looking at Acts chapter 10 today. I heard about a little boy that asked a preacher, not his own pastor, to come and pray for his mother who was sick. She had the flu and was sick at home. And the pastor came and prayed with her and, and then afterwards uh, asked why he had asked him to come and pray, knowing he was a church attending boy. And the boy said, because I didn't want my pastor to get sick. Thoughtful young boy. Anyway, we're looking at Acts chapter 10. Again, reminding you that we're in the transition period here. We know the church is uh, young. We know the apostles are still doing a lot of great things, miraculous things, raising dead people and healing people. Uh, but now they're starting to reach more of the Gentiles, the Grecians, the Greek-speaking Jews, were one thing, but now we know the church is grafted. Gentiles are being grafted into the family of God. And let me just remind you, the church and Israel are not the same thing, and the church didn't replace Israel. One day, the 144,000 will be saved. But here, we know that we're told that when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're children of Abraham by faith. And so I'm a child of Abraham, as you are, by faith. We're going to read verses 17 through 20 when you have that. Let's read these few verses. Not a long introduction today, but let's look at these verses 17 through 20 of Acts chapter uh, 10. Stand with me if you will. I'm sorry. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. God bless us. We thank you, God, for your instruction, for your direction. You lead me, you lead me. By your own hand, you lead me. And you lead us as believers, as children of God. And we just pray we'll follow. Thank you that Peter followed uh, Cornel to Cornelius' house and that he could be saved. And Lord, we just pray that we follow your direction as you lead us. Bless us today as we study this. Help us to glean, to, to, to gather something that's good for us. And not to just be doer, hearers of the word, but to be doers as well, Lord. Help us to be doers doers of the word, blessed now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. It says, while Peter doubted. They're at Simon the Tanner's house. He's been staying there, and he's learning. Now, this is a great learning experience for Peter, as well as it will be for Cornelius. And then the Spirit speaks to Peter. First a vision, then a voice. The vision, remember, of the food coming down on the, on the sheet uh, from heaven and, and uh, the clean and unclean meat he's told to eat. And then a voice and now the Spirit of God. We have a lot of these uh, 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 occurrences in Scripture. Remember, we find the Ethiopian eunuch. While God's speaking to the eunuch, he's also speaking to Philip. Actually, the angel speaking to the eunuch and the Holy Spirit speaking to Philip with Paul and Ananias. Remember, Ananias is told by the Spirit, he's a believer, the Spirit's telling him to receive Paul, and he's telling Paul he's going to be there with him. Here's another occurrence where 
while God's speaking to Peter. He's speaking to Cornelius at the same time. And so this is interesting, but he's, it's, it's this, this, this matter of God, the Spirit of God speaking to mankind. And we find this several times in Scripture. And he says here in verse 20, he says, get up and don't doubt. And uh, it's interesting, this word is translated several ways in your Bible, but it has the idea of not thinking twice. It's actually translated discerning, not discerning. And so uh, Peter's struggling with this. He's doubting, and, and is this really God's plan? All my life I learned that these foods were, were dirty and that I shouldn't be around these Gentiles. And, of course, a lot of what they were taught was erroneous because the Pharisees and Sadducees passed oral traditions down, and usually they would, not usually, but sometimes they would use those to supersede what the Word of God said, because the Word of God never hindered Gentiles from coming to Jesus. Obviously, it was a time when God said, go to the Jews first, not to the Gentiles now, but that's not what is, is being taught here, and that's not what Scripture is taught all along. God has always had open arms to the Gentiles. How do we know that? Go back to Rahab. Go back to all kinds of places in the Old Testament where Gentiles came to the Lord. And so here he says, you know, don't doubt. Don't doubt. I want to say today to you, don't ever question God. Don't doubt what he says clearly in his word. I know a lot of times at night we lay in bed and, and uh, we struggle with some things and then in the daytime we wake up and it's all okay. And I, I don't remember who said, don't doubt in the night what God clearly said in the light. And so sometimes it's hard for, to, for us to sleep because we're concerned, we're worried. And, and so here, uh, Peter is really struggling because he's been taught one thing and now God's saying, you know, go to Cornelius, go to this Roman guard. Remember the Romans, we said last week, ruled over the Jews. So get up and don't question God. Remember Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, when Jesus himself said, don't go now to the house of the Gentiles. And we know that they were told to go first to the Jews. And that can be misleading. I've heard it misused as well in, in our day. A lot of people will make that statement to the Jew first and not to the Gentiles, to push evangelism to Jews and to Jewish organizations. And while I just have so much respect for organizations that reach the Jews as well as the Gentiles, putting that in context was really about when Jesus was there, he wanted them to try and reach the Jews while he was there to usher in the kingdom. In fact, he said if you would have accepted the message that John the Baptist would have been your Elijah, but they rejected the Lord. Then he said, now go to the house of the Gentiles. But he never would hinder a Gentile for coming to come, <clears throat> from coming to the Lord. We know he loves all people. In fact, we know plenty of scriptures support that, the fact that he loves Jews and Gentiles. Now, in verse 22, it says here that the Jews respected Cornelius. It says, and they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. The Jews revered this man as a Roman soldier with all that authority, and yet he was a devout man. We learn that in verse 2, a man who gave generously, 
a man who feared God. Remember in verse 2, he's a man of prayer. Here's several more things. A just man, a, a man who was of good report, a good testimony. What a good man he was. But unfortunately, he hadn't really fully understood that the Messiah that he had waited for, the Judaism he had practiced, had been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And so now he's got to understand that. And we're not saved by our righteousness. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. For by grace, grace and mercy, are we saved by faith? Not of works, but his mercy and his grace. And he needed to understand that. He was a good man who looked for the Messiah, who practiced Judaism. He, he was a good person. Here now, it says the Jews respected him. The Jews respected him. And so what a good man he was. And he's been warned by God, and now he's going to listen to a heavenly voice, and he's expecting a Peter to come. And the Bible says uh, that entering into the Gentiles' house would be seen by the Pharisees. Uh, the text, Peter will, will even state this, that, you know, this could be problem for me because I'm not supposed to enter a Gentile's house. Peter would even eat here with Simon the Tanner and no doubt at Cornelius' house. And so he's going against everything he's learned. The thing about coming to know Jesus is it just changes things in our life, doesn't it? And Peter now knows the Lord and what a change it's made in his life. He's gradually growing and maturing and now he's loving people who he wouldn't normally love. Here's a Roman. Here's an Italian, a guy that he probably had hated for a long time. Uh, the, the people of, of, of the Roman soldiers. And now we find him uh, now uh, going to minister to this guy. It's interesting as you study the centurions, they're all, all good men in the Bible. They're not all believers, but we find they seem to be well spoken of. Uh, they obviously were good enough men to, to get 100 men to follow them. But here's Peter now, and he travels with these three uh, trusted Gentiles and six of his Jewish comrades, and they would now make the journey to Cornelius' house. I was reading something this week I thought was interesting about the servants here. Some, one of the guys I read wrote about how these were really good servants that Cornelius could trust this devout soldier and his household servants to go get Peter. And the, the, the whole, the, this guy preached a whole sermon about this, and I read some of it, and I thought it is interesting. We often forget the middleman. We often overlook the, the cooks at fellowship time. We often overlook the person who, who uh, picks up trash and cleans the parking lot and does these little things and we often forget the person who, who actually, like Andrew, who brought Peter to Jesus. And we sometimes forget uh, that Mr. Kimball, the shoe salesman in Chicago, who led D.L. Moody to the Lord. We often overlook these kind of people. And this guy preached a whole sermon on how these three servants were a big part of this because they obeyed and they went and did what they were supposed to do. Paul writes quite a bit of scripture on servants obeying their masters and being good servants. When you go to work, you're supposed to be a good employee. You're supposed to obey and do the best job you can do. You say, I don't like my boss. That doesn't change the fact that you're supposed to do your job. But anyway, uh, Cornelius is anxious for their arrival in verse 24. 
And he gathers his kinsmen, the Bible said, his kinsmen. Uh, and that could mean his countrymen as well, according to Romans 9.3. And he goes out to meet Peter. Some people think he's probably running. He's so excited. I mean, God had told him about Peter. Here comes Peter, and he runs out to meet him. And in verse 25, he's, he's dropping down to worship Peter. And Peter stops and said, I, I'm only a human. I'm just anthropos is the word there. I, I'm just a human being. Don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm just a man. Now, some say Peter was the first pope, and they say the popes are infallible. Well, Peter doesn't fit the bill because he's far from infallible. <laughs> All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mary and Peter both needed the Lord. I was in a church in Panama one time, a Catholic church. I was just looking at the beauty. It's called the Church of the Golden Altar, and I was on a tour with with my family is all it was. And here's a statue of, of one of the saints. I don't remember who, some ladies bowing down. And I thought, well, that's a graven image. That, that's, that's worshiping an idol. And, and I, I know that Peter, you know, we know all the things he did. John, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, the truth's not in us, we're lying. We all struggle with sin as long as we carry these old sinful bodies. But I'm just a human. I'm just a human. You know, the great thing about being a human being is we have the potential to be something for God. We're made in his image. Um, so much today about, you know, the animal life and, you know, a lot about angels as well. And people worship creatures. I know they have the holy cow in India. And, and uh, there's Michael Mass and some people worship angels. Every bit of that's unscriptural. It's only one that deserves worship. That's our Lord Jesus. And when you worship the Lord Jesus, you make God smile. Because that's the fullness of the Godhead. Amen? That is God incarnate, God in flesh. And so we worship him today. And, and so Peter had to stop that. But angels are not on the same level as human beings. We're made in God's image. They don't even understand salvation. They're ministers unto us and thank God for them. But we're made in God's image. We're made to fellowship with God. That's why God loves it when you talk to him. And he really loves it when you listen. Because he wants that relationship. But, you know, we, we know that some people even think animals, and we hear all this animal rights stuff. I was thinking about the other day, if, if you were to kick a pregnant dog and, you, uh, and it killed the pregnancy, you'd, spend, you'd have jail time for that. But we can abort babies in the last month, and none of it makes any sense. Well, let me tell you something. We're created in God's image. We're created better than the animals. Kicking a dog would be terrible. I'm not saying to kick a dog, but I'm just saying that we're made in the image of God. I love the creation of God. I was watching something this week that fascinated me. There's a butterfly that I was watching a show about in Ecuador, this butterfly that looked, it looks just like the face of an owl when its wings are open. It's fascinating to me that God created something in all that detail that God spoke into existence when he created that little creature. When its wings are closed, it looks the side from the side, it looks just like a snake. You can read about it online today. I know some of you will. And I was just like, wow, the handiwork of Almighty God. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
I mean, the ferment showeth his handiwork. And, you know, I was in this same program. They had the Falcon that can fly 240 miles per hour. And I'm like, wow, that's, they can't, scientists, uh, aviators study the bird trying to figure out how it can do that. God made it that way. We can't, we can't make things as good as God makes them, amen? I, I, of course, I've said before that little uh, bumblebee defies all the laws of aviation. Those little wings have to beat so fast to keep that big tanker up because he's been at that nectar buffet all week, like some of us, and, and he's a little overweight, it seems like, and yet the aviators say they can't figure that one out. And, you know, God created these things, but he created you in his image. Isn't that something? We're like God. And so here's Peter. He says, I'm just a human being. Don't worship me. And obviously, we're supposed to worship God. And then Peter, in verse 28, he reminds Cornelius, he says, really, it's unlawful for me uh, to, uh, to keep company with a Roman. Now, technically, it wasn't because... Uh, and we know the Bible says in Deuteronomy, God's no respecter of persons. Chronicles says, you know, he regardeth not one person over another. But Peter had been taught that. The oral tradition had said that. But actually, the Old Testament doesn't say that. The separation laws were to really not sin and not to be unequally yoked and to marry heathen people. It wasn't teaching that they were inferior. The Jews were blessed in a great way because they had the oracles of God. They had the law. And God chose them. We understand that. But what I'm saying here is, is Peter's learning here. He has this vision. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He's learning that God's not a respecter of persons. That Cornelius is just as valuable as he is. And so he's going to go and he's going to meet with uh, Cornelius. And we know that he, he, he's... he's uh, uh, going to Cornelius' house, and he's going to spend time with him. And Cornelius is a man of much authority. It says his kinsman, he, he, uh, he, he, he mentioned his kinsman back in verse um, 17, and I want to just follow up on that, because it says now in verse uh, 27 that many were gathered together. So we presume that besides his family, he had a lot of influence with the Roman soldiers. He had to be careful because Roman emperors were pretty uh, passionate about being considered the God of that day. And so now he's going to tell the Roman soldiers, I got this person who loves Jesus coming to speak to us. That had to be sort of sensitive. And so Peter says, it's difficult for me. But he goes ahead and, and does it. And of course, it's a big encouragement to Cornelius. In verse 29, Peter says, I came as soon as I was sent for. And then he says, why did you want me here? And Cornelius shares his story of his encounter with the angels. And this caught Peter's attention because, after all, it was the same exact time that God was speaking to Peter. He's speaking to Cornelius. So God certainly has both men's attention. And while Cornelius' uh, servants were, were there, of course, God speaks to Peter. Now Peter goes and Cornelius meets him, and here they are, and Peter's going to teach them. Going to teach them. Uh, verse 30, let's read that. It says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. So here's a Roman. He's fasting. 
And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in, in bright clothing. This is a messenger. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter, for he's lodged in the house of one Simon the Tanner. And so here God speaks to him and says, go send for Peter. He probably couldn't leave his area because he's over 100 soldiers. It'd be a dereliction of duty. So he probably had to hope that Peter would come. Now, for Peter, there's so many things here. Not only, you know, the spending this time with Simon the Tanner and eating these foods, and now he's going to travel and, and talk to a Roman soldier. And he's, he's thinking, you know, I don't know about all this. What did God say? Don't doubt. Don't doubt. You know, God's word is so clear. We need to obey. We hear it on Sundays. We read it during the week. We even hear it on our radio stations, and yet sometimes we just don't obey. And so here is a great challenge to Peter as well. I'm going to travel to see this Roman. That's the humility of, of all of it, you know. We go to the mission field. Sometimes we go to mission, the mission field, and, and I, I remember going to the Panama Canal Zone and spending 10 years there, and the Panamanians, you know, they're, a lot of them are poor. I can remember, uh, you know, going to houses of people. I had a lady who worked for us. We had a full-time maid for $80 a month, not a day, but a month. And they would come and clean. I remember giving her rides home, and I'd see the little shack, and I thought, oh, that's so sad, this lady. Poor lady lives in this shack, just some plywood. She had electricity, though. She had an extension cord from the factory up on the hill plugged in and they would sneak up at night plug it in at dark and they'd have electricity till morning and then they'd sneak up and unplug it so at night they had electricity they could have a fan and watch tv after dark poor poverty all over the place and sometimes we think well you know uh, you know witnessing to these people and, and bringing the gospel these poor people and these people they're not like us shame on us shame on us they're souls for whom Christ died. And if Peter's thinking any thoughts about, you know, here I've got to go to a Roman soldier's house, uh, you know, he's struggling with that. And I understand that. We all understand that. But he goes. He goes. And Cornelius, of course, sees him coming and possibly runs to meet him, as we said. And we know he worships him. And Peter says, no, don't do that. In chapter 11, Peter would be crucified for the fact that he did what he did. He reached out to a Roman. So Peter says, you know, I've, I've come. Why, why do you want me here? And Cornelius says in verse 33, well done. He has an attitude of gratitude. He's a powerful man, but he's grateful. He says, well done. He wanted to learn. He said in verse 33, I want to learn all things. I love that. And he found a certain man named, um, and I'm turned, uh, page turned, excuse me. Immediately, therefore, I sent unto thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all here, present before God, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. He didn't just want to know about Jesus. He wanted to learn. Love that. I imagine this is one of the guys that got into church and, and started to study, and I don't know. But I love it when someone wants to know all things. Tell me all things about God. He had that passion to learn. And, of course, 
We're supposed to take the Bible and share all things with all people and all nations, Matthew 28. Let me read that. You know this verse maybe by heart. It says in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Just bear with me a minute. Those long pauses where you have to wait for your pastor to find a passage. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That's all authority. Go ye therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. By the way, singular, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. And he goes on to say, lo, I am with you always. Here he says, I want to learn. We're all here to learn all things. I'd imagine all of his family members came. Maybe the hundred soldiers, some had to be on duty, I'm sure, but just think of the influence. Why were a lot of them there? I believe a lot were there because remember, Cornelius is a man with a good testimony. The word good report means a good testimony. He was a good witness. People follow an honest man and a man of integrity. Once in a while, we have a politician who has integrity until he gets to Washington and they can't do what he wanted to do and he just goes with the flow, I guess. But we all love a person with integrity. Integrity matters. He was that kind of guy. So he was influential. And I'm sure a lot of his soldiers were there and they were here to hear Peter. And what does Peter do? He admits that he's also learned. He said, I've recognized God as no respecter of persons. Romans 2.11, if we can put that up there. But I recognize God's no respecter of persons. In John chapter 10, I'm going to turn there. In John chapter 10, verse 16. If you want to turn there with me. <clears throat> it says here in John 10.16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. A Jewish believer and a Gentile believer were all of the same fold. The Panamanians are of that same fold. The homeless man who trusts Christ is part of the family of God and just as relevant as you, just as relevant as I am. They're relevant. They're God's people. I love the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. It blew the disciples away. A rabbi who normally will not speak to a woman is there at the well. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And here's Jesus. What does he do? He speaks to her first. She's shocked. Why are you speaking to me? I, I'm a woman. And Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. You have your temple, and of course the history was that the Jews wouldn't allow the Samaritans to even help on the temple. They had to have their own place of worship because of the Jews' dislike for them. <coughs> and what does Jesus do? He breaks down all those barriers and offers her living water. The disciples come, and they're stunned. What's going on here? I'm, that's a paraphrase. What's going on here? And do you want something to eat, Lord? No, I'm, I have the, the right kind of food has satisfied me. He put her needs above his physical needs, didn't he? What a story. 
And, you know, in John 3, we have a religious wreck, you know, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. John 4, we have, we have a moral wreck, don't we? And we have a physical wreck in John 5. And God cared about all those people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, whether they're wealthy or poor. Here's a woman who had all these husbands. We may not want her in church. I mean, she's got all those men in her life. She's been married all these times, and she's shacking up. And we wouldn't want her attending here. But Jesus made a difference. That's the way he is. He makes a difference. I want you to ask today several things I want to ask you. First of all, do you obey God without delay? Peter, obey me. Don't hesitate. When God speaks to your heart through the word and the spirit of God convicts you, do you do what he tells you to do? We don't hear an audible voice, but we have that peace which surpasses all, surpasses all understanding. There's nothing like that peace. When you know you're supposed to do something and you pray about it all you want to and you can read your Bible, but you know God has instructed you to do something, that peace is wonderful. And you have it as long as you obey him. Do you obey God without delay? Second of all, recognize the divine arranged appointments in your life. Here was a divine arrangement. God arranged this appointment of Cornelius and Peter, and Peter struggled to recognize it, but finally did. When someone annoys you, they take up your time. I remember I was a pastor, and I had a lot of people to deal with, and oh, if the colonel called, I would have him come in, and he had a special parking space for me. And, uh, and these, these military people were quite something. And, and I would have one time this guy named David. He, he was, uh, boy, he was just sort of a day late and a dollar short. You know, he, he actually had a head injury from jogging and hitting his head on a tree. And I'm thinking, come on, you know, how does that happen? But he would come by my office and want to spend time with me. And I was always like, oh, my word, he's going to, here he is again. That's how you think because I was a respecter of persons. If Colonel Ryberg or Colonel Eversman, a Navy captain, Navy captain, wanted to see me, oh, of course, get them right in. What is that? I hate to use myself as a bad example. That's being a respecter of persons. Years later, I got a card from David Emmy, nice long card about how much I helped him in his life. And I read that and thought, if he knew my heart, but God cared about him as much as Colonel Ryberg or any of these other people because God is a God who's not a respecter of persons. Realize others are as important as you. I hope that you're a Christian who really wants to please the Lord rather than yourself. If you want to please the Lord, then you minister to other people. It's not all about me. not all about you. It's about others. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful story of Peter and Cornelius. As we're reminded once again that you're not a respecter of persons. And Peter's learning great lessons and Cornelius is learning lessons too. It's probably just as hard for him to listen to a little Jewish man as it was for Peter to talk to Roman soldiers. But God, you break down these barriers because we're all one in Christ. Bless us, Lord, and I just pray if there's anyone here who's never trusted Jesus Christ that we can take the Bible and show them how to be saved. 
I just pray you'll speak to hearts not only this morning, but continually all through the week. Bless now in Jesus' name.